So, and the apostles and brethren that were in Judea heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God. And when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him, saying, Thou wentest in to the men uncircumcised, and didst eat with them. All right. So Peter had preached to the Gentiles in chapter 10. It's been a while, and we've actually done Acts chapter 11 in the, in the first half of it, but I really wasn't happy with it, and it's been a while, so we're going to do it again. And it's not online, so I lost it somewhere. But Peter had been preaching to the Gentiles, if you remember, and a little bird flew back to Judea and to the church in Jerusalem and told that Jewish church all about it. You see in verse 1, the, uh, they were in Judea, heard that the Gentiles had also received the word of God, and they weren't happy about it. So this, uh, this thing of passing information along the old-fashioned way at a grassroots level, you know, uh, there was a song back when I was a kid called, I Heard It Through the Grapevine. I don't know if Creedence Clearwater Revival was the first one to do that song or not. And then do you remember those, those raisins that sang? <laughs> what were they called? California Raisins. Yeah, I heard it through the grapevine. And I, when I first heard that song as a kid, I had no idea what that expression meant. Now I know what it means, right? And, uh, and people used to make fun of women in the church. And I think it's so hilarious. I've heard uh, men get up and preach and talk about, you can tell a phone, you can tell a woman, and either way it'll get there just as fast. And then you grow up a little bit and you learn, guys are just as bad as the women are sometimes about talking. Amen? Right? And so uh, this is, uh, the, the news traveled, that's for sure. And why does it seem like bad news seems to travel faster than good news? Isn't that something... Yeah, and it's just something about our nature, but, but this was a really a good thing. The word was getting back that the Gentiles had received the word of God, meaning that they were getting saved, and the word got back there, all right? But the Jewish Christians, you understand they were Jewish converts to Jesus Christ, they weren't happy about it. And I've got to give you a little, little bit of the background as a matter of fact, they were shocked to hear that Peter did this, that he actually went to the home of a Gentile and brushed shoulders with them, preached to them, ministered to them. It was shocking. You say, why? Well, yeah, they had a prejudice against the Gentiles. You see, back in the Old Testament, you had two kind of people in the world. You could put everybody in the world into two categories. You had the Jew... And that's the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right, that's the Hebrew nation. And you had everybody else in the world. And they were called by the Jews. They were called Gentiles and they were called heathen. And uh, in the New Testament, you have a new group introduced. So you can put everyone into the world into three groups now, three categories. You have the Jew still. You have the Gentile, everyone else in the world that's not a Jew you know, of that, of that, either of that descent or, or, or lineage, or, or they could be proselytes to Judaism. So you could be a Jew just being a proselyte. You've been circumcised, you're keeping the, the Mosaic law and all of those things. But then you have a third group. You have the church, the church of God. If you're in the church, 
There is neither Jew nor Gentile, right? The national distinctions are lost in the church. If you knew that about your Bible, that would help you tremendously to rightly divide the word of truth. But at this point, they didn't understand that distinction now of the church. Later on, Paul would teach that uh, to believers. And uh, so to them, during this day, Gentiles were repulsive to Jews. It, It was more than prejudice. If a Jew in this day were to accidentally bump into a Gentile and touch them, that Jew was told that he had to, or she had to go home, burn those clothes, put on new, fresh, clean clothes, go to the priest and get a ceremonial cleansing because you were defiled, because you touched an unclean dog, a Gentile. And you know what they believed about Gentiles? This is Jewish tradition. It's not in the Bible, but you can take it uh, as a grain of salt. They thought that the Gentiles were a regular supply to fuel the fires of hell. Their death and their, their descent into hell was fodder for the flames of hell. They had absolutely no burden, no zeal to reach the Gentiles to reach the lost. And Jesus, when he showed up, he rebuked those Pharisees and he rebuked the priests at the temple because he said, my father's house is supposed to be a house of what? Prayer, right? A house of prayer. For all the nations, there's supposed to be a light to all the world. And he said, you have made it a den of thieves, right? So they weren't doing what they were supposed to do. They weren't a city set on a hill. They weren't a light to the Gentiles, even though that's what the Old Testament says. You see, so when, when Peter went into that Jewish household, they, they thought to Peter, uh, he's unclean, he's defiled himself. And so verse 2, when Peter was come up to Jerusalem, they that were of the circumcision contended with him. He received opposition from that first church. The church in Jerusalem. And, uh, you know, those converted Jews, they were still clinging to their traditions. They were clinging to their old ways of thinking. And traditions are hard to break, aren't they? And that old way of thinking, uh, somebody said that, uh, you know, when you get older, excuse me, I don't mean any, uh, any disrespect by this, but as you get older, your mind is like concrete. You know, it's all mixed together and firmly set. And it's hard to change those things. I know something that can change it. The gospel can. The gospel can. The word of God can. And people who get saved at a later uh, point in their life, they still need their minds to be renewed by the scriptures, just as the young people. Uh, When you're young, you're more liberal, right? You're more liberal, you're more accepting. As you get older, whether you're saved or you're not saved, it's a general trend. As you get older, you get more conservative. So the young need their minds to be renewed. Their minds are worldly and ungodly. And, and, and the old, they need their minds to be renewed as well. We all need the Word of God. And they mistakenly thought this. Uh, if you'll notice in Acts chapter 15, uh, verse 1. They thought... That in order for those Gentiles that Peter was preaching to, in order for them to get saved, they had to first come to the church in Jerusalem and be circumcised and keep the law of Moses, else they could not be saved. 
Now, that was an error, an error in the early church. Look at Acts chapter 15, verse 1. Certain men which came down from Judea taught the brethren and said, Except ye be circumcised after the manner of Moses, you cannot be saved. You see that? They're trying to attach something to the gospel. Instead of it being by grace through faith, are you saved? They were trying to say, it's faith plus circumcision and keeping the law of Moses equals salvation. You can't do that. It's, it's faith in Jesus Christ equals salvation. Plus nothing, minus nothing. And that had to be settled at that council there in Jerusalem, the first council of the church. And they did settle it. And Paul and Barnabas dealt with them. And he says, there is no small dissension and disputation with them. So back in Acts chapter 11 and, and verse 3, you see someone says, I just wish we could go back to the first century church. And then we'd have all our problems solved. And there'd be complete unity. No. No, there has always been problems with good doctrine being taught and then false doctrine brought in. Or people coming along in their understanding and so on. And so... They thought that that had to happen, and that was not the case, and the Holy Spirit proved it to them, you see. So they said in verse 3, you went in to men uncircumcised, and you ate with them. And what God, God says in, in chapter 10, you remember, he said to Peter, Peter, what I have called clean, don't you call unclean. God said, I've granted repentance unto the Gentiles, and when they repent and get saved, by a simple faith in Jesus Christ, they are clean, don't you call them unclean. That was a lesson for a Jew in the first century. But here's a great truth for us today. If we're saved, we're clean. So don't, don't uh, put this heavy burden on yourself, this constant going around thinking, I'm not good enough for God. I haven't done enough. I haven't learned enough from the Word of God. I I haven't been faithful enough, or I can't be faithful. No, if you're saved, you're clean. You're clean. There's, there's nothing else that you have to do other than put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ. You're clean. That's instantaneous salvation, instantaneous justification, and an instantaneous sanctification. You're set apart. No longer a Jew, no longer a Gentile. Set apart and put into Christ, into the church of God, into His body. You are clean before God. He looks down from heaven, he sees you, he sees the perfect righteousness of his son. He's got to look through the blood of Jesus to see you. You're clean. Don't go around treating yourself like you're unclean and not acceptable to God because you are. And it's not your righteousness that accomplished it, it's a foreign righteousness that did it. And I'll tell you this too, don't go around looking at other people like they're unclean. I'm talking about saved people Sometimes we see them coming into churches and we always pick on them because it's so obvious. You know, they come in with tattoos on their arms or on their necks or rings in their ears or their nose or their eye. Now, personally, I don't Now, I'm going to get somebody's going to get mad at me for saying this. And they're going to say, here he goes again, offending somebody that the, the earrings and the, and the eye and the nose, you know, I, I don't understand that. I don't get it. Um, it doesn't look attractive, I think. Uh, but what I'm not going to do is come in here and rant and rave and preach about nose rings. 
What a waste of your time. I want to preach the Word of God. But you look at somebody like that, and a man, maybe he just gets saved and he's got long hair. And uh, you know what? He's clean before God. That's how I was when I got saved. I got saved. I still had long hair. I was still smoking cigarettes. It took a while for the Lord to show me, you, you shouldn't do that. That's a bad testimony. You can't be a witness walking around smoking cigarettes. Now, guys, there's more than just a practical reason not to smoke cigarettes. That'll ruin your health. One day you'll have lung cancer. You know, you don't want to do that. But you see, I was clean. And, and, and unless some Pharisee came up to me and said, you know, you're not right with God because you're smoking those cigarettes. And until you put that away, you're not really saved. I wouldn't know any different. But one day the Lord convicted me about the hair, about the cigarettes, about the music. And that stuff was uh, just something over time. You know, you, you, you catch them, let the Lord clean them up. But what I'm saying is don't treat people like they're unclean. What we want, what you want, is you want a church where spontaneous testimonies are the norm. And what you want is you want a church where you have brand new believers who are just, you know, just brand new babes in Christ, just growing into faith. Babes are messy. They don't know how to feed themselves. You want them and you want strong, seasoned, mature Christians. But if we start treating the baby Christians like they're unclean, then the baby Christians, well, they're selfish and they're going to throw a fit, you know. And you know how babies are then you're going to offend them and run them off unnecessarily. So that's why the heart of my ministry has never been to preach like that. I'm always trying to preach just right at the heart of the matter, and that's your fellowship with God. And you know I preach against sin. You know I'm not a compromiser in that area. But don't call people unclean when they're clean. Sometimes people don't look like us. They look different. Did you know in Psalm 100, around the throne of God, it said there's a great multitude? And did you know, like somebody reminded us last night, they're not all going to be white. All nations, all tribes, all tongues, all shapes and sizes will be around the throne of God. And whether or not they'll still have skin color, I don't know. You, we'll figure that out together when we get there. But uh, don't call them unclean, he said. But we have a tendency uh, to, you know, here I'll, t- I'll say one. This is kind of controversial. I don't ever want to put words up on a screen. And this is kind of a, this is a hobby horse. You know, somebody says, well, you don't want to sing with those hymn books because if you sing like this, you can sing better and people will sing out and so on and so forth. You know what? I've never seen a choir yet that didn't sing with books like this in front of them. And those choirs all sing out and sound good. I don't think it's a hindrance to do that. My preference is to do it like this. But in a lot of churches, they're getting rid of the hymn books. I think it's a mistake. They're getting rid of the Bibles and the pews. I think it's a mistake. But they put everything up on the screen. That's the way they do it. And they have different sounding music. I don't think it's right. I don't think it's right to bring the world's music into church. I think it's a mistake. But that's how they do it. And I'm not going to call them unclean because they do it. I'm just going to say that's how you do it at your church. That's your business. You're autonomous. You're self-governed. You have to answer to the Lord for that. But how we're going to do it here is with our old hymn books. Our noses buried in them. And... One day, a piano player there, right? But I'm not going to call them unclean. I think some of those things are worldly. But you you get my point. I just don't think the Lord would have us to do that. We can get so stuck in our traditions, so stuck in our way of thinking, that we think that people who are saved are the enemy. And they're not the enemy. We shouldn't have a contention with them any more than these people should have had a contention with Peter. 
But verse 4, Peter rehearsed the matter from the beginning. So Peter defends himself in this case by reciting that matter. And then he called upon witnesses. He, He expounded it. That's a good Bible word. Expounded it by order unto them saying. Now, the Bible is its own dictionary. Right there, it defines the word expounded. To expound, we can gather from the context he's explaining. Hold on, guys. Let me explain myself. But it's a certain way of explaining. It's to expound it. You say, what's that? To explain by putting things in a logical sequence. Let me start here and take you logically along the line to show you why I did what I did. That's expounding. By the way, that's Bible teaching. That's what Bible teaching should be. So he expounds it. And he says, I was in the city of Joppa praying in a trance. I saw a vision. We're not going to go through all of that because he's basically reviewing what we learned in chapter 10. But I'll say this, he's doing this, he's explaining himself, and then he says, I took with me six witnesses. Now that's information that we did not get in the previous chapter, but you'll find that in verse uh, 4 down to verse 14. He had six witnesses that could validate his story, and he says that the, that the, the Lord called me to do this. In verse 7, I heard a voice saying unto me, Arise, Peter, slay and eat. I said, Not so, Lord. I won't put anything common and unclean. And the Lord was saying, he's saying those, those things that I want you to eat, they're like the Gentiles that you think are unclean. And then uh, what God hath cleansed, verse 9, that call not thou common. This was done three times, Peter said. And the sheet came down to him, was drawn up into heaven. And then he said in verse 11, Behold, immediately there were three men already come unto the house where I was, sent from Caesarea. And the Spirit bade me, verse 12, Peter said, the Holy Spirit told me to do this and to go there. And, uh, and then when he got there, then Cornelius said that an angel told him to call for him and to come and to preach. In verse 14, words. You see, that's how a person gets saved. God calls a preacher. The Holy Spirit called Peter. God calls a preacher to preach. Never uh, never uh, the other way around. But he calls a preacher, and that preacher comes, and he preaches words. Now, what do you think those words were? They were the gospel. He was preaching Jesus, Christ and Him crucified, and talking all about that, how the, Jew, the Jews in their scriptures had a prophesied Messiah, Jesus came, he was the fulfillment of those prophecies, and so on and so forth. How he died for our sins, and so on. Peter comes and gives them words. And that's how people get saved. That's how children get saved. That's how uh, teenagers get saved. That's how adults get saved. That's how everybody gets saved, is hearing words preached in the power of the Spirit. And then they have to, there has to come a moment of decision. You know, uh, Franklin Graham, the Billy Graham Association, I know they have a lot of problems. Billy Graham uh, had a lot of problems with his ministry. However, God has used that ministry to give a clear gospel presentation and a clear invitation to come and to receive Christ as your Savior. You know, they always did the invitations at the end of those those meetings. And, and, And what was that song that they would always sing? Just as I am. And, and someone wrote that for that, that thing. 
And so they'd start, the choir would start in to sing, and just as I am, and people would come forward, and I know what they say about all of that and false professions and everything else. But listen, God does not make it hard to get saved, but you've got to hear the gospel, and you've got to respond by either rejecting Jesus or receiving him. And those who believe and receive Jesus as their own personal Savior from sin will be saved. And these men, before, G, uh, before Peter even got done pre, uh, preaching, look what it says here. He says in verse 15, As I began to speak, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. He didn't even get done preaching. And they said, that's it. That's what we need to hear. And they said, we believe. The Holy Spirit bearing witness with what? With tongues. He bore witness And when that happened, as the Holy Spirit fell on them, notice what he says. He says, the Holy Ghost fell on them as on us at the beginning. So as Peter stood there watching that happen, his mind went back to a time, back in Acts chapter 2, the Jewish Pentecost. When God poured out the Holy Spirit, the beginning would be the beginning of the church, obviously. And it would be the time when God confirmed what he was doing to the Jews with signs and with wonders. People speaking in known languages and everyone around understanding simultaneously. You know, Google can't do that. God can do that. And, and, and it's like he didn't say, it was just like what happened last Sunday when I preached. Last Sunday when I preached, everybody started speaking in tongues. He didn't say that. He said it was like at the beginning. So what you really have here is he's looking back to a time back there a little ways, and he's saying, that's the last time it happened. Now it's happening again, but this time, what's the difference? They're Gentiles. So it's a Gentile Pentecost, somebody called it. And it was for the purpose of confirming to these Jews in that original, that's the only reason it happened, was to confirm to the, to the church in Jerusalem and to Peter that this was God's hand at work. That God was, in fact, going to save the Gentiles without, without Moses' law. You understand? Without circumcision, without temple worship, without Sabbath keeping, God was going to save the Gentiles. Proof is in the pudding. They spoke in tongues. They were indeed baptized with the Holy Ghost, placed into the body of Christ. And so they were going to get the lower baptism after this because it was clear they were saved. The lower baptism is water baptism. The higher baptism is spirit baptism. No one belongs in the, in the, in the waters of baptism. You know, a, a baptism by immersion. No one belongs in those waters until they've been baptized by the Holy Ghost into the body of Christ. And it does not require the evidence of speaking in tongues. But that'll be a matter for our study later on in the book of Acts. That was something that was done here because the sign is for the Jews. And if it did not happen, they would not have believed it. And the truth would not have marched on. But, you know, there's something interesting in verse 14. We have to quickly wrap this up tonight. We're not going to go any farther than verse 18. But in verse 14, notice, Who shall tell thee words, whereby thou and all thy house shall be saved. Now this is proof positive just like I said, that Cornelius was not saved yet. Remember, he was religious. He was a praying man. 
he, he, he supported Israel. He, he would worship. He would give alms. He did all of those things. He believed in God. He was a monotheist. But he was not saved. He had to hear words and respond with belief, with faith. And then he would be saved. And he had to hear them from a gospel preacher. So see, guys, he needed a foreign righteousness. He had a righteousness of his own. I mean, if you read chapter 10 later on, he was a righteous man as far as men go. He, he was a clean man. He was a good man as far as men go. But he did not have a righteousness that would save him. He needed a foreign righteousness that he could not find in himself. And so he had to hear the preaching of this man, Peter. So um, let's look at verse 17 and 18. For as much then as God gave them the like gift as he did unto us, the then being the Gentiles, us being Jews that are converted to Christ, who believed on the Lord Jesus Christ, what was I that I could withstand God? When they heard these things, they held their peace and glorified God, saying, Then hath God also to the Gentiles granted repentance unto life. They said, That's it, Peter. They got it just like we did back in Jerusalem at our Pentecost. They got the same thing. There's no difference between us. God has also granted to them repentance unto life. Did you know that repentance is a gift? That God gives to us. I'm so thankful that God just like, just kicked the door of salvation wide open for us. And granted to us repentance. And after hearing and with faith, God enables us to repent unto salvation. I don't understand all of that. But what I do know is salvation is of the Lord. We have a choice. It's your responsibility to make a personal choice for Jesus Christ. But you could not be saved if God did not give you the opportunity to repent and then to be born again, to have life. So I want to say something here at the end. Uh, I want you to notice, would you turn to Romans? We'll finish up with two scriptures. Romans chapter four, 5, please. Romans chapter 5 and verse 14. I want to wrap this up with a foreign righteousness. What do I mean? By that, I mean it's a righteousness that you do not have. It comes from outside of you. Uh, so Romans chapter 5 and verse 14, please. Salvation is a gift for the guilty and not a reward for the righteous. I heard somebody say that the other day and I thought that is a spectacular quote. A gift for the guilty and not a reward for for the righteous. The gospel is a grace-based thing. Not a law-based, works-based thing. That's not how salvation works. It's by grace. Let's look at that real quick in Romans chapter 5. Just The Bible's so clear. That's the best thing we could do right now is just read what the Bible says. Romans chapter 5, verse 14. Nevertheless, death reigned from Adam to Moses even over them that had not sinned after the similitude of Adam's transgression, who is the figure of him that was to come. But not as the offense, all right? Let's just look at this in real simple terms. 
The offense is Adam's offense. And because of his sin, death passed upon all men. So also is the free gift. For if through the offense of one, Adam, many be dead, that's us, before we're saved, much more the grace of God in the gift by grace, which is by one man, and it's not you. Jesus Christ, and it's not a church, or it's not a priest, hath abounded unto many. And not as it was by one that sinned, so is the gift. For the judgment was by one to condemnation, but the free gift, that's the second time he said that. Salvation is a free gift. The free gift is of many offenses unto justification. In other words, Jesus died for many offenses on the cross. And we can be justified because he paid the penalty for him. For if by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness, a foreign righteousness, a righteousness that's not your own, it comes from outside of you, shall reign in life by one Jesus Christ. Therefore, as by the offense of one judgment came upon all men to condemnation, even so by the righteousness of one, and it's not you, and it's not me, shall many be made righteous. Moreover, the law entered, and so on and so forth. Where sin abounded, grace did much more abound. You see, we're real good sinners, and God is a real good Savior. And it's not that God's grace helps you to turn over a new leaf and live a righteous life and then you get to go to heaven. That's a misunderstanding. Because, compare it with Scripture, I mean, if you just look at chapter 4, verse 5, it says right there, But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly. The Bible actually tells you not to work for it, but believe for justification. Now, work for sanctification of life, that progressive cleaning it up, there is a work involved but that's not for the saving of your soul, you see. Salvation is a free gift. So it's a gift for the guilty. It's not a reward for the righteous. If you think it's a reward, the Bible talks about rewards, talks about work. And, and it says that we labor for an employer. And when we do that, if we labor for an employer, we're under contract. And that employer is indebted to us. That employer has to pay us for our work. And if you're, if, if you're not paid, then you can uh, expect to bring, you know, prosecution against that employer. It's a contracted wage. You have a right to expect a paycheck. Can you imagine some sinner standing in heaven saying, God, you owe me? <laughs> I don't think so. I don't think so. It's a free gift. You have two choices with a gift. It's either you take it. I'll have it, Lord. I'll have the cleansing of all my sins. I'll take the righteousness of Jesus Christ. I'll take justification by faith. It's just as if I'd never sinned. I'll take that. I want you to make me clean. I'm a dirty Gentile. I want to be clean. I'll take that, that repentance that you're granting to me, that you've allowed. It's a gift. It's a free gift. Eternal life is a free gift. Grace means undeserved or unearned favor. And you know what else it means? Listen to this. This kind of is... 
take it to heart, but it's true. Take it to heart. It means undeserved love. It means God is going to love you and you do not deserve it. And I don't deserve it. You realize that? God so loved the world, he gave his son for who? Christ died for the ungodly, for sinners. We don't deserve his love, but he loves us anyway. Isn't that wonderful? And, and lastly, okay, let's, let's just finish here and we'll be done. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. I listened, you know, uh, YouTube can be a great blessing. Um, it can also be a curse. I was listening to YouTube and they have these things called shorts. I like to go in there and listen to guitar players. Um, there are some fantastic guitar players on there. A lot of them Christian. Uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. And uh, there's one guy, he has this show called The Sunday String Along. And uh, he's, he's such a blessing. He's, he's just so good. He learned from Chet Atkins. He met Bob Taylor of Taylor Guitars. Bob Taylor's a Christian man. He was playing music for his church, playing guitar in his church uh, worship team uh, back in the day. And, and I tell you, it's a blessing. But sometimes YouTube can be a curse because you can just start flipping through those videos and anybody can get on there and say anything. And deceive the hearts of the simple. And I was listening to a, a Greek Orthodox priest who was confronted on the street by a personal worker giving the gospel. And that Greek Orthodox priest said this. That person said, are you saved? And he said this. He says, yes, I'm saved. And I'm also being saved. And he said, I will be saved. Now that's in the Bible. But then he started to quote Matthew 24 and 25. And he said, if I endure to the end, and if I keep myself unspotted from the world, and if I forgive as I'm forgiven, and I do all these things that... And he started quoting things from the Sermon on the Mount. He said, then I will be saved finally. And what he said is basically, it depends on me. And if you're going to be saved, it depends on you. You say, what's wrong with that? That's a works righteousness, and that is hopeless you will be finally condemned and cast into hell for all eternity because you need a righteousness that is not your own. On your best day, you cannot hold a candle to Jesus Christ. On your best day. Philippians chapter 3, verse 9. What did Paul say? If, I, if there ever was a good man in the Bible besides Jesus, I'd say it's Paul. What did Paul say when I get to the end of the road? You know, we're all heading to the end of the line, right? He said, I want to be found in him, Jesus, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. That's the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his perfect life, his perfect uh, fulfillment of the law put on your account. That's the only righteousness that will save people always argue and say, well, you think you can just live how you want. Come to church here for a couple of months and see if you still say that. And listen to me preach. I do not preach you can just live however you want. Uh, let's go ahead and <clears throat> stand to our feet with our heads bowed and our eyes closed, please. I want to have an invitation because what I've just given to you is the gospel of the grace of God, how that Christ died for our sins. He was buried. He rose again the third day. The third, and, and then he, he stands with arms wide open, ready to save Anyone who will come to him by just a simple childlike faith. And I know standing here tonight that I might be speaking to one who has never placed their faith and trust in Jesus. 
You're not saved and you know it. You're not saved and God has been pricking your heart and saying it's time to do it. It's time to get it done. It's time to get it settled and you keep putting him off and putting him off. Or maybe I'm talking to someone tonight who is trusting in your own righteousness and you cannot carry that burden any longer and you want God to remove that burden from you and you want to trust in the free grace, the free gift of salvation with a genuine faith in Jesus Christ. You realize the hopelessness of your case. You realize how often you fail and how you have no peace in your heart and you want that peace that comes by this this offer of a free gift. If that's you tonight, I I invite you to come down. And even if you can't kneel at the altar, I just invite you to come and sit in the front row. And I'll come and I'll pray with you. And I'll just show you how easy it is to be saved. And you can have it settled tonight. I don't know who may be under a burden. But listen, God loves you too much to let you go to hell. He's going to keep dealing with you and dealing with you. But why don't you just get it settled now? Why would you turn Jesus away? Why wouldn't you love him? He loves you so much. Why wouldn't you just say, Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. I want you to be my savior. I want you to come into my heart. I don't want to go to hell. I want to go to heaven and be with you. I want to be on your side. Will you save me? And you know, if you do that, the best way you know how, say, God, be merciful to me, a sinner, and save me for Jesus' sake. If you do that, he will, just like that. Right now, he'll save you. But if you want to do that, if you want to pray together, I invite you to come during this invitation. Lord, I pray that you'd bless this invitation. Father, maybe I'm talking to folks, and we're all here. We're saved. But Lord, I want to give the opportunity to respond, and I pray that you'd bless. Lord, how we would rejoice if someone walked the aisle tonight said, I want to get it settled. Lord, I don't, want the, I don't want the devil to have place in this church. I don't want the devil to have an advantage here, Lord. Tonight, you might want to save somebody and get glory for yourself. And I pray, Father, that you just bless now in the invitation. In Jesus' name, amen. What's our song, brother?